Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me again this week in the studio is Ben Gullard, my favorite person. We used to go to Wendy's all the time in high school, and he's back to help me tell people what they should do with their lives. Ben, great to see you. It's good to see you too, Danny. It's terrific. How you doing? How you been since the last time I saw you? Good. Yeah. Relaxed. Daylight savings time. Oof. But... You're looking what can you do? limber, you're looking supple, you can't do anything. They just sometimes tell you the clock is different and you just have to roll with it. Mm-hmm. So our first question, we are so not qualified to answer. I just, I guess Good. I want to start with that. Good. It's one of those things that's like, I know parents can technically commit fraud by like taking out loans in their minor children's name and then like saddling their kids with it. I don't know the ins and outs of it. Right. It sounds awful. It sounds Dickensian. It's probably the kind of thing where our answer is going to boil down to go see a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I'll just start by saying, go see a lawyer. We're just going to be talking about the sort of general principles and emotional entanglements. But I, I cannot stress this enough. No one should ever, ever ask me for advice about loans or money or anything. I don't like to look at my bank account. I get audited by the IRS pretty much every other year. I never open my mail. Uh, Sometimes I get red envelopes in the mail, and I don't like that. And uh, the last time I got a ticket in my car, I just never paid it, and then I moved out of state, and I sold my car. And now I don't have a car, but I've never paid that ticket. And I don't know if they uh, assess late fines. I don't know if it's like a library thing where, like, if I ever go back to Mariposa County, I don't know why I'm saying the name of the county. This isn't helpful. I'm just trying to stress, don't ever come to me for financial advice. I learned that early on. Yeah, you you, you had my number early. Totally. I was like, let's check the back of the car cushions to see if there's enough change to go to Wendy's today. And there always was. There almost always was. Yeah. Like, what's going to happen? I'm not going to go back to Mariposa County. No. And And Mariposa County is not going to come to you. And I don't even have a car. So if I did, I would have someone else drive me. So, frankly, there's nothing they can do to me that I can think of. Which is good advice. I guess they could send me some more letters. But I've changed my name. Right. <laughs> Airtight. Airtight, folks. I'm going to read this letter instead of just listing all the horrible, horrible habits that I have. Subject is, suffering under student loans never signed. Last year, I found out that one of my parents forged my signature on nearly $200,000 in private student loans. I feel so much better about all my own bad financial habits right now. I've never done anything like this. Those loans are now negatively impacting my credit score and well-being. I owe over $5,000 in late payments and more than a 1,000 monthly payments to a private loan company for things I didn't sign for because that parent was unable to keep paying as they had promised to do. I make about $60,000 a year, and I won't be able to afford what I owe until I'm probably 50. I confronted that parent last month foolishly hoping they would take accountability and that we could at least communicate. They were, after all, supposed to be the nice parent of the two. 
Instead, they ignored the whole forging my signature and identity theft thing and just told me to report my rental payments to Experian. I now have to decide whether I want to file a police report so I can try to get legal help or continue to try to work something out after going virtually no contact with a family that my therapist, friends, and others have said are emotionally, verbally, and financially abusive, or as my sibling says, incapable of being parents. The first option would be complicated since I technically benefited from these loans as I graduated college. But I made the choice to go to that college because I took my parents' word at face value. I believed those private loans were parental loans and that the only loans I had signed for were federal ones. I now know that my parents abused my trust. I also know, thanks to a friend who dealt with a similar situation, that if I had caught this in college, the financial aid office would have been able to step in. Now it almost feels too late for me to get out of this impossible situation. I have one year left to file a police report before the statute of limitations expires. I feel distraught, guilty, and terrified of potentially dealing with this complex case of identity theft, and I could really use some advice from a neutral third party. So again, just take the burden of legal financial advice off the table. Other experts in that field will be of more use to you than we can be. Uh, General temperature taking, one year left to file a police report versus sort of, what was the other sort of option? Try to work something out after going virtually no contact. So so your options are file a police report, hire a lawyer, and like turn to the system for getting you off the hook. And the other is try to work something out with someone you don't talk to. Yeah. To me, column A, go with that. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, I, you know, (laughs) absolutely try to not get the police involved in your life. But with filing a police report, at least that there is that on record and you can do what you want after that. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a little bit like, when somebody gets in a car accident and they are not at fault and they often have to sue the other party just to get their insurance to pay out, it's like you're not doing that because you are personally mad at them and you want to hurt them. I mean, maybe you are, but like you you do it simply because the company needs to have a person whose responsibility it is right. in order to pay out for the, the things that you need. Right. So to me, the situation here is less – I felt like some of the underlying concern was like, is it hostile or aggressive or would I be like completely failing to take the high road if I filed a report and like pursued my legal options as opposed to that's just looking out for your own general self-interest. Absolutely. Like, y- you did not sign that. That's not your signature. And so if your only other option is be on the hook for $200,000 plus interest – because someone else forged your signature, I, I say don't do that. This is one of those instances where I would cheerfully encourage someone deal with the police because they're the ones you have to deal with. Right. Um, yes, by all means, file that report. Do whatever you know you need to do to to get this cleared from your name. And, and you know, I actually don't think this is complex. You say it's a complex case of identity theft. It sounds really simple. Mm-hmm. One of your parents forged your signature and then stopped paying on a loan. And I think usually what people mean when they say complicated or complex is like, I'm sad about it, or it's not a stranger. But it's very simple. One of your parents forged your signature and like soaked you for a deranged amount of money. Doesn't necessarily mean that you don't love each other. Doesn't necessarily mean that they did it for 
zero reason. It's possible that at the time they thought they'd be able to cover up for it and were able to lie to themselves and say, this won't really hurt my kid. But it just doesn't really matter right now. Like, you're not being asked to file a police report of whether or not you're mad or Mm -hmm. whether or not you think your parents, like, redeemable. It's just, did you sign that? No, you didn't. So you need to cover your own ass so that you don't have to pay that money. Right. I I think this is one of those things where it's like, worry about the emotions later. Deal with the emotional stuff later. This is I, this is this is like me at my most Susie Orman. Again, I clearly don't watch or listen to Susie Orman, but I I feel like I've picked up enough just mm-hmm. from like I don't know. Sometimes my grandmother had a bunch of her books around. I think I absorbed them while I slept. Uh-huh. Um, but like, you know, you're making it an emotional problem when it's a financial problem, which yeah. is just which is sound advice. Separate it out from the rest of your life. Yeah, if a stranger forged your signature, I don't think you would be this worried about it. The fact that it's a parent again, is going to be cause for more therapy sessions or, or or more like painful emotional discussions with people you care about. But just in terms of what do I do if someone forges my signature and not doing anything means I might owe $200,000 and, and, and then some. And no. my, my gut tells me that this happens a lot. Oh, it, I mean, I've heard of this before. Totally. So that if you approach a lawyer or you approach, you know, authorities about it, that they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay. That there is already a system in place that's able to deal with that. And There's, at least the FTC has a website called identitytheft.gov. There is like a formal forgery discharge application mm. that you can fill out online. Even I know about that. And I don't know a lot about finance. Um, yeah, there's absolutely a path to solving this because. Like many crimes, they're most often committed within the family. You know, fraud, sexual abuse, like these are often commonly uh, committed within the family. And of course, that makes things incredibly loaded and painful. Um, but you're not alone. Uh, and and that's that's people tend to defraud and harm the people they know the best and who are the closest to them. And that's very sad and painful. But it, it does mean at least that there are lots of people who have been in a similar position and who have gotten out from under. Right. So to me, this one is just like 100% do what you need to do. Get out of this one. It is not a, a little bit like the question you and I answered last week where I felt like some of the underlying fear was if I report the guy who abused me when I was a teenager – might that be at odds with my personal decision to forgive him? Might it be vindictive? Right. And I feel like that's some of what's going on here too, is like even though I think of my family as pretty abusive, uh, I don't necessarily want to slam the door on ever speaking again or maybe even just like the hope at the back of my mind that I could mentally redeem some elements of this relationship Mm -hmm. so I don't have to feel so sad. Right. And of course, if you do this, I guarantee you, that parent is going to come out of the woodwork and say, how can you do this? I can't believe the consequences of my own actions are coming home to roost like this. Why are you trying to hurt me? Why are you so vindictive? But that's not true. That's just the desperate flailings of someone who really, really, really doesn't want to pay for what they did. Yeah, and that's how they settled it in their mind of like, well, I'm their parent. They, they aren't going to do that back to me. Yeah, you're my kid. Right. You wouldn't even have a signature if it weren't for me. I can forge it whenever I want. Right. Um. And it's just – so again, like if at any point they do try to bombard you with that, I want you to be prepared. I want you to remind yourself it's not true. I want you to put up barriers so they can't come at you with that bluster. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're just – you're like – if a tornado blew a full barn and it was coming towards you and you needed to step out of the way 
And then later someone said, I can't believe you stepped out of the way. It's just like, they're being unreasonable. You stepped out of the way of a barn that was flying at you at like 90 miles an hour. Yeah. That's, as you say, if you dedicated your whole life to paying this off, it would take you 25 years. Awful. That's a barn. Yeah. That's a tornado barn. Right. Or one of those cows from Twister Mm -hmm. that fly around. Uh Uh-huh. You remember Twister. Helen Hunt? And cows, I think. Or is it Taya Leone? I mix them up sometimes, which is weird because they don't look alike. I mean, they do, but like not that much. Not like Helen Hunt and Lily Sobieski. That's who I was thinking of. Because she was in Deep Impact with Taya Leone. Oh. And that movie always made me really mad because of the way that she just like gave up and died with her dad on that beach. I felt like Taya Leone and her dad gave up way too easily in Deep Impact. And the tsunami got them. Yes. And they like went out to the like Nancy Myers beach mm-hmm. and like waited for the wave to kill them. Which right. again, like even if I can't get away at the last possible second, I'm not going to go on the beach and make it easier. I'm going to stay in my house. You come to me. Right. Sorry. <laughs> I found Taya Leone's <laughs> behavior in Deep Impact completely inexplicable <laughs> when I was 12. <laughs> It's been a while since I saw it. It's possible that she was just doing the best she could in a difficult situation. But like, it is a personality test of like, are you a deep impact? Or are you an Armageddon? I mean, to me, it's no question. Armageddon was so fucking boring. Again, I was 12. Uh-huh. So I was like, um, Elijah Wood is so handsome and tortured. And I'm 12 and he's 15. So... Maybe someday he'll marry me the way he has to marry Lily Sobia. I was very like, the government like allows them to be child brides to each other. And I was like, that's so romantic. Oh, that's right. Because he discovers the asteroid and like, that's the only way he can get her on the Ark or whatever. It's basically like every, <sighs> every, not at all, but it's like such an amazing like fantasy of like, and the government says that you have to marry your boyfriend and your parents give you their baby and then they die nobly on the road. And you just, like, get to grow up right away, and it's so sad and tragic and interesting. And I, I had really fallen in love with Elijah Wood when I saw him in, in Flipper. <laughs> um, so I just – it was, like, that versus, like, Bruce Willis on an asteroid for, like, 70 hours. Mm-hmm. And that did nothing for me. Yeah. Still doesn't. No. Yeah. So no question. It's Deep Impact all the way. Same. Second is Mars Attacks. Third is Armageddon. Interesting. I feel like it's it's in conversation uh-huh. with the with the comet movies. Right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Where were we? Uh yeah. File the report. Continue not talking to your parents. Um if someday later you want to try to have any kind of rapprochement, rapprochement, I don't know how to say that. Um, you can. But uh, again, if if it's ever predicated on I'll only ever talk to you again if you promise to like just pay off my loans. That's not that's not a reasonable basis for a relationship. So right. again, this is not you're not filing a report about whether or not your parents abused your trust. You're filing a report about whether or not you signed the loans. Keep it simple. And it is the thing of like the company that was issuing the loans would not have issued it to your parents. Yeah. There was a reason they had to forge your signature. It is fraud. It is not just like, oh, it was kind of a toss-up and it landed the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, again, I just – I really want to encourage you, letter writer. You say it almost feels too late for me to get out of this impossible situation. I have one year left. That's so much time. I don't mean to say that to tell you to, like, relax. Do it this week. Do it 
as fast as you can, but it is not almost too late. And and I think that maybe is where some of the emotion is creeping in of mm. like, I feel like if I make this decision, that's going to be the definitive end of our relationship. Even though we already don't talk, even though they've already harmed me in any number of ways, right. this is the thing that finally severs the hope that someday things were going to be kind of okay between us. And mm -hmm. I think maybe that's why it feels almost too late is coming up for you of like, well, if it's too late, then I'm just in this sort of mess. But at least I didn't, you know, sever the bond between us. At least I didn't do that thing I feared. Right. And if that's at all what's going on, that makes a ton of sense. I want you to be able to talk about that feeling at great length with the people who care for you. Um, but do not let that feeling dictate your choices around getting out of this financial mess. Yeah. So, yeah, the guilt, the terror totally makes sense, but it's not complex. You should deal with it. Um, do the strategic stuff first. Do the emotional stuff second. And good luck. Do not fucking pay that money. No. Again, that's my approach to most things. Don't pay it? Often, yeah. Especially stuff like medical bills. I'm like, what are they going to do? Send me to a debtor's prison? Right. I have a friend, yeah, who went to an Ivy League school in her 50s or something like that. And that she just says, no, I'm just never going to, they're never going to see that money. I'm, they just can keep calling, but like, I'm an artist. Yeah. Like, what are they going to do? <laughs> I, I'm Googling right now. Can they make you pay medical bills? I, get, I, I also know. like they. I love it. I love to just like my even though Google has gotten so awful over the last couple of years, just like my childlike trust and faith in the search engine, which is just like if I type it in, it's just going to give me back like the answer from government.com that is just true for all like medical billers and institutions. Yeah. Do unpaid medical bills affect your credit? Credit's fake. Like, what? I don't even know my credit score. It was I've, invented in the 80s. I've never looked at my credit score. Yeah. I know it's bad. Uh-huh. But who, so what am I going to do? Buy a car? No. I don't have a car anymore. No. I got rid of it. It's cut. I sold it to a friend. It's got a ticket already in it. Well, a friend of a friend. Now I live someplace where I can take the subway. So all I have to do is never move. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy a house. Right. What else do you need credit for? Anything? It's the the best financial advice is move to New York City. Everything's fake. <laughs> Don't pay anything. Stop opening your mail. Do whatever you want except for forging your child's signature. That is a bridge too far. Be as messy as you want with your own accounts. Uh, I feel like the IRS has like really been underfunded the last couple of years, so they're not even auditing people <laughs> the way that they used to. <laughs> And you would so, know. I would know. I used to get audited all the time, and now it's just every couple of years. Danny, it's Rebecca. Oh, hey! They let me go. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but as long as they don't replace you. But if you want me to come over and rifle through some of your papers. Yeah, yeah, it would help. Please. Keep a receipt. I'm not going to do that. Um, fantastic. Fantastic. No one take financial advice from me, ever. I'm also going to be mean to this next letter writer, but I will be less flippant, Ben. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, what's that line from In Memoriam, A-H-H? No uh, idea. I'm going to ascend the stepping stones. Come on, that really long poem? Nope. All right, everybody. Stepping stones, higher selves, dead things. 
the poem that Tennyson wrote about that friend of his who did the impression of the sun going behind clouds that made Tennyson laugh so hard he fell out of his chair. Oh. I hold a truth with him who sings to one clear harp in diverse tones that men may rise on stepping stones of their dead selves to higher things. That's the line. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise on a stepping stone of my dead self to higher things. And I'll remember that line for next time. I think this encapsulates how we became friends is you being mean to people and also being able to recite Tennyson. And I was like, in fairness, I could not just now recite Tennyson. I could remember stepping stones and higher selves. And then I Googled it still. All right. Fair enough. So I'll be, I want to help the next letter writer because I I think that the letter writer is not bringing enough empathy and compassion to bear in this situation. But I believe that they're capable of it. Mm -hmm. And I think the the reason the last letter, I just wanted to be dismissive is it was so clear the letter writer was not like, uh, I'm acting out of whack with my values. I need help, like reorienting my heart. It was, it was truly just okay person. It was truly just like, I want to be a racist asshole and I want everybody to praise me for it, which is like good fucking luck. So the subject here is sinking ship. I need to, quote, divorce my eight-year-old daughter's best friend because her mother is an irresponsible nightmare. Bessie is incredibly sweet. Her mother dumps Bessie, her 10-year-old brother, and three-year-old sister on me any time that Bessie comes over. It's always a, quote, emergency, and always on a weekend when she comes back from, quote, working with her hair and nails done. The last time was my daughter's birthday. We invited 10 girls over for a sleepover. All three of the kids were dumped on my front porch with only the clothes on their backs. My adult stepchildren took pity on me and took the older brother off to play basketball while another one looked after the toddler. I entertained the rest of the girls the best I could. My husband and I are separated. I'm lucky to have a strong family support system, but I'm at the breaking point here. Bessie is not being abused or neglected in the legal definition. Her mother doesn't give a shit about her kids, though. Enough money to get her eyelashes done, but not buy her kids toothbrushes. I am in over my head here. So, again, my goal this time around is not to be flippant or dismissive. Um, And so, I I think I just want to start with, like, letter writer. I I don't want to try to, like, argue whether or not Bessie's mom has been acting in a way that's been pretty inconvenient for you. I I don't even want to argue the possibility that she's been doing it in a way that's kind of thoughtless. Like, I don't want to go to immediately, she must have very virtuous reasons and you're simply, like, ignoring them. Right. Very possible that she is just, like, kind of a selfish person, kind of a thoughtless person, and is overstating emergencies. I don't know that for sure. And frankly, letter writer, I don't think you can know that for sure either. I know that right now you see the like hair and nails as like a smoking gun. Again, it, it is both possible that she had like work emergencies or was stretched thin and also got her hair and nails done. Like I can imagine scenarios where you would need to have that done for work, um, especially if you would like do anything like tipped work. If you like you work at a salon yourself, if you do anything like sex work, like, sorry, I feel like just implying like maybe she's an impoverished sex worker and you're like doing bad solidarity is like maybe doing a little too much uh, emotional forecasting. So I'll just say like, I-, I think it's just you're already frustrated with her. And so you're just looking for any detail that will help you stay mad. Mm-hmm. And I would just encourage you don't focus on her hair and nails. It wouldn't make you any happier with the situation if she had short nails and like 
no eyelashes. Um, you wouldn't be like, this is great. So right. I would just say like, let that stuff go. But the language of I need to like quote divorce just to me suggests that like something's gone a little bit out of whack here. You're talking about an eight-year-old girl. And and even if you do have a conversation with her mom about how you can't look after all three kids unexpectedly anymore, um, I just don't want you to go into it with anything like a mindset of I am divorcing this eight-year-old because her mom is like annoying me. Because that's just like not a good spiritual attitude to have towards kids, right? No, it's not the angle to approach a problem. Yeah. Is through the child as like either the cause of or like the representation of something that you don't like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, regardless of how long your kid and Bessie stay friends, divorce just shouldn't really be language you're using around the kid. Um, no. And it also implies, I think, the idea that a solution would be just cutting that friendship off and that it would go away like divorcing somebody and moving to a completely different city but if your kids go to the same school together mm -hmm. you can't really they're still going to be around i think is the thing it's not going to be a solution it's going to be you trying to establish no contact or yeah something that is has everything like <laughs> changing and subject to all sorts of variables. Yeah. And just again, like I, I'm not even saying you don't get to set any boundaries here or you don't get to have a talk with Bessie's mom. No. But I would just also encourage you like to think about the lesson you're going to be modeling for your own kid. And if that is, I am going to unilaterally end the time that you spend with your friend that you care about because her mom doesn't have childcare lined up for the other kids is like, that's hard on your kid too. Right. And again, like Bessie is just doing her best. She's not responsible for this. So again, none of that is to say every Friday you have to have a standing date and look after all those kids for free. I just, I just want you to go about this one. Um, I don't know, with like reasonable senses of scale, I guess. I think it, it is like the priority should be the kids mm -hmm. and making sure that they are okay to the best of your ability. That does not mean unlimited resources. And I think that it comes down to like a matter of good faith between you and the other mother who seems to, I mean, again, like you were saying, Danny, like the, the reasons behind the emergencies or needing them to take care of their other kids kind of don't matter in mm -hmm. some ways, but that there is the assumption that you let a writer have the capacity for that. And I think that if you start to establish, like, maybe I don't have the capacity for that right now, or how can we make it so that this is more scheduled, I think would probably even help. I, I bet that the other mother probably doesn't feel like that they could ask in some ways to have childcare support on a more regular basis or more often that they would like to even admit to themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be like... That might be a way in. Yeah. And so, you know, when I when I read this, I was like, all right, that sounds like the the sleepover thing to me felt like, if anything, that was kind of beautiful. Like, first of all, you invited 10 girls over for a sleepover, so you were already going to have a big night. Like, right. at a certain point, the difference between 12, 10 and 13 is like, eh, it's a bunch. Right. Um, but like, it worked out, right? Like, 
you're and and I think it kind of speaks well of you that your adult stepchildren, Absolutely. even though you and their father are separating, were like ready and willing to hang out and and step in and look after the kid. And so I just really think it is totally okay for you to say to Bessie's mom, "Hey, I won't be able to look after all three of the kids anymore. Um, if you're ever able to schedule a play date that's just the girls, let me know. I'm I'm down for that. But anything else, I can't. And that would even mean if she like then tried to push that boundary, potentially considering saying like. I'm not able to do that today, so, like, let's just do another day. Although that could potentially, mm-hmm. like, get you into a difficult situation where, like, the kids are, like, dealing with real-time rejection. I would maybe lean towards if you fear that she's going to do that, just go ahead and say, I can't schedule any more play dates at our house, full stop. Right. And, like, you know, encourage the kids to play together at school or to, like, do outings. I don't know. Yeah, just, like... I don't want to put the letter writer in a position where they're having to, like, enforce that boundary in front of a three-year-old. Absolutely not. Who, who like, yeah. Right. Um, but so that is okay if you need to say, like, I need a long break from playdates or, like, I can't keep doing stuff with all three kids. If she's like, okay, good to know. I won't do that anymore. Great. And if she's like, I really need you to do that and you just need to say, I can't, mm-hmm. you're allowed to say that. That is okay. I would encourage you to do so politely and without like really getting into the hair and nail stuff ever. Um, no. But you can't, but like, I can't just, I think there was kind of like a beautiful example of it taking a village and like your other kids came together to help out with the other kids and it all kind of worked out. And I think that's beautiful. And I do just really encourage you to think about, I, I'm I'm not comfortable making any kind of ruling from here about whether or not the kids are being abused or neglected in the legal definition. And frankly, I think... I think that's the heart of what troubles me about this letter is in the legal definition and I need to divorce this kid. It feels like a slightly legalistic attitude to take towards the kids. Mm. Like Again, you absolutely have a right to be frustrated with the fact that this woman keeps showing up with all three kids without warning you. That's frustrating. Absolutely. And, and I don't pretend to know her mind and her heart and I don't want to just manufacture like totally virtuous reasons outside of her control where she has to go like do incredibly difficult things to like keep a roof over their heads because I don't know, maybe she's just kind of thoughtless or maybe it's a mixture of both. But like clearly the kids are kind of going through it a little bit. Like it's a little tough when your mom is just like dropping you off at people's houses without warning. Like right. that does speak to a certain level of chaos that probably does affect them and while you're not going to be able to solve all their problems for them overnight, I just think to the extent that you are ever able to, like, be kind to them and ask them about their day and, like, if, if you can't, you can't. But, like, if maybe once a month you could see your way towards it, I think that would maybe be nice. Yeah. And if you absolutely couldn't, all you have to do is say, I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but please don't say anything like we need to divorce her or we need to stop hanging out. If you have to have a conversation with your daughter, you can talk about, you know, it's difficult for me to babysit all the kids when you guys want to play together, but I hope you guys can spend great time together at school. That would be a better conversation than her mom is taking advantage of me and therefore you can't be friends with her anymore. Don't do that. Right. It's based on a lot of assumptions. Yeah. And just again, like, it's it's unclear to me, like, do you mean she can't buy her kids toothbrushes because the one time she dropped them off, they didn't, like, have time to go home and make sleepover bags? Mm-hmm. Or do you think that they don't have toothbrushes at home? Because if it's the latter, fucking buy those kids toothbrushes, right. you know? 
And yeah. like, so I like, I also know like, it's not easy to like look after a 10 and an eight year old and a three year old, especially on a moment's notice. I don't want to put like an unreasonable burden on this letter writer. No. Of just, you've got to be picking up all the slack that Bessie's mom doesn't, but just really, really seek ways to be more patient with the kids. Um, and at the very, very least, do not hold their mother's behavior against them. Um, and try to remember that like kids have, so little control in their own lives and if they don't have a toothbrush and their mom's always like trying to like unload them all over town even if they're not technically being neglected or abused that's hard kids know when they're not wanted and if you contribute to that that's you know just making things hard for them too that's a really good point yeah i mean kids really i i certainly remember as a kid really feeling acutely aware of when i felt like i wasn't wanted yeah and sucks and the dynamics between parents too i think yeah yeah and then i think just when you get really stuck on something like the hair and nails i think you're kind of creating a story in the absence of more information that's sort of like and she probably is sailing around town without a care in the world right and i don't know maybe she is maybe she isn't like i I guess i would just encourage you focus way less on bessie's mom and just think about what, if anything, can I do for these kids in the occasional times that they cross my path? And even if it's just nothing but like a friendly wave and then finish school drop off. Right. Just do that. But Yeah. And I think the the boring, hard answer is also talk to the mom. Yeah. And again, don't do much in terms of like litigating the past. Just because no. I think the most that will do is get her back up, especially if it gets into stuff she's too embarrassed to talk about. Totally. Um, and oftentimes if people feel like they have to do a lot to keep up appearances and the cracks are starting to show, if you bring that to their attention, they get defensive. That's not to say that you have to like what she's been doing, just that that's not going to be strategically useful. Right. Um, just say, I can't look after all three kids anymore. Do you think it would ever be possible to have a play date that was just the girls? If not, no hard feelings, but I can't do this anymore. Right. No more than that. Right. And I'm just sorry. And I hope yeah. that things go as well as possible for Bessie and her siblings and whatever that looks like. Um, I think we really run the gamut today from like full, I don't care about your problem and I don't like you to... Sometimes it's really difficult. It's a quick turnaround. Well, you know, it's yeah. like I don't I wanna I wanna use my glibness sparingly. Totally. Otherwise, yeah, you don't want to devalue it. I just want you to know that while I was saying that last sentence, I was really, really slowly trying to lower one of my Diet Coke cans into the recycling bin mm-hmm. behind me and I was completely missing it. And I could tell like my hand was getting lower and I was getting further away from the mic. I always wonder like, what was going on. Trash cans further away than I think it is. Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't even close. Wasn't even close. Ben, as always, it's a delight to be with you and to to spend time with you. Uh, and I really enjoyed all the stuff that we said that we're not going to air. That's great. That's terrific. Thank you so much. And everyone else, I will see you next week. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. 
Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. I love this one. I just, again, Janae, thank you for sending this to me. I'm sorry I took this from you, but thank you so much for your generosity. You know, who's who's we? Who's expecting what? You're, you do see your neighbor is disrespectful. It actually doesn't sound like anyone's called you a bigot. Your great right. niece just told you recently that she took a class on being respectful of a local culture. That seems fine. Doesn't sound like she called you a bigot. I guess the closest we got was my friends who don't live in my neighborhood mm-hmm. think I'm becoming a cranky old woman. And we went from that to why am I considered a bigot? Right. Well, I mean, you know, for starters, let's like check our terms. Has anyone called you a bigot? Or have some of your friends said you sound like a crank? Because that's not quite the same. I, I get it. When I'm mad about something, I want to be able to exaggerate it and for people to get it. You know, if I'm like, oh, my foot hurts, I want to be able to tell people I am dying of gangrene. And that's not technically true, but it feels true. And when someone says, is that true? Or did you just slightly stub your toe? I'm like, why would you say that to me? But like, I don't think anyone's actually called you a bigot. And I guess just the question is like, why don't my friends or great niece hate my neighbor? Because they don't live next door to your neighbor. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.